Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. This is 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest, and we thank all of you for coming on out here uh, today. Corey Provis, round of applause for him, first of all. What's going on, man? Hey, Max. Oh, and hey, Max Kepler yeah, is here as well. Is yeah. Here. How you doing? It's only a guy who hit like three home runs uh, in every game over the course of June, I believe it was. So um, we are here until 1.30 on 1500 ESPN. You'll be able to find this on demand on the Touch em All podcast feed if you missed any of it. Derek Falvey will join us, the Twins' new CBO, in about 10 or 12 minutes from right now. But uh, first things first, Max Kepler, pop on a, uh, a headset there. I see you rocking the Timberwolves, Timberwolves hat. You gotten out to a Target Center and all? Yeah, I actually went last night and really had a blast. Um, that team is really starting to come together. So talented. Uh, pretty similar to what we have uh, to offer this upcoming season. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Timberwolves fan now. So yeah. are, are you the Carl Anthony Towns of the Twins then, or how does that compare somewhere? I'm the Zach Levine. Okay, that's <laughs> pretty good. Can you dunk a basketball? That's the question. Yeah, but... I'm not going to get as many stop points as they do. <laughs> okay, okay. How big of a sport is basketball in Germany? It's, it's, it's bigger than baseball. Um, they have some leagues uh, where actually a lot of college players, ex-college players, uh, ex-NBA players go to play. And, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of fun to watch. Actually, Michigan's got a guy right now from, from Germany, Mo Wagner. Is from, uh, is from Germany, and he's, he's actually one of the really good players in Michigan right now that you bring that up. Cool. Yeah, I'm still waiting to meet uh, Nowitzki. So. Okay. You enjoying Twins Fest again? You, you've yeah. done this now a few yeah. times, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I guess for the first time you're doing this as somebody that uh, that showed some skills out there in the field, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciated everything from the fans. I've met a lot of new faces, seen some familiar ones, and yeah, I appreciate all the love, you guys. Max, when you and you mentioned you guys are kind of the at the same stage as the Timberwolves with a ton of young talent, and then looking to to burst on the scene here sometime soon. When you look at just the crop of position players on this team. Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton had a big September last year, uh, even Jorge Polanco emerging, and Eddie Rosario from last year. What, as you look ahead three to five years, just for the position players in the lineup itself, what do you see? I see a lot, you know, a lot of good things coming our way. Um, as a young player, you just, you just have to gather experience uh, to find that comfort zone. Um, and yeah, all we need is time. And you've seen uh, September, you know, Buxton has shown a lot in September. Uh, Sano has shown his power and it's all about consistency for uh, us young players and learning about that and holding on to you know the good things we do uh, you know when we get hot and learning how to get out of slumps faster um, so yeah it's just an experience thing for for us young guys and I can guarantee you that in three years we're going to be looking like grown men out there and, and living up to it. Max, I, I was looking through some photos earlier this morning of, of Twins games from last year. Now, team-wise, I know not a ton of highlights, but you personally, is there something that stands out to you as your favorite moment from last season individually? Yeah, I'll have to go with the walk-off. Yeah, okay. Yeah, was that sure. uh, Red Sox? Yes. Right, right yeah, here? My, my first home run. Um, I'll have to go with that one over, over all the other nice days I had. Well, and I was watching the, that, that's what I was actually getting at with the photos is there's one of you rounding first base here after that kind of line drive home run out to center and you're going absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like, and I've never seen that from Max Kepler before. Yeah, yeah. I, I let uh, my emotions get the better of me. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. But it's a good thing if you're celebrating. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? That's yeah, fine yeah. to let your emotions no, that go. Was, that was a big day for me. Um, 
Yeah, obviously very excited. And uh, yeah, I really didn't think that ball was going to go out, but just trying to get it to the outfield. You know, last year, if you think about it, too, you played probably more baseball in one season than you ever had previously. You know, minor league season's five months, and the big league season, you, you tack on spring training. It, it, it's a long grind. Did you get fatigued at all? Did you feel did, like you were hitting somewhat of a wall when I'll, you got to September? Yeah, I'll be honest. In the, in the second half, towards the end, um, you know, my body was starting to feel it, and uh, I kind of let it get to my head. Um, but I learned from that, and now next year I know how to prepare for it and just be mentally tough. And... Yeah, just let adrenaline take over every game because it's, it's there and it supplies a lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. Max Kepler is with us here, 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest. Derek Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast. Corey Provis from Trins, uh, Twins Radio Network. I'm Phil Mackey from uh, the Mackey and Judd Show. What's something that happened or something, something about your, uh, your experience in your first year in the big leagues that you didn't expect? Something either on the field or behind the scenes, um, a moment... Something that was unexpected for you last year. Something that was unexpected. Um, or pleasantly surprising, however you want to characterize it. <laughs> Good question. I don't know. Um, it was a new level to me, but uh, the game to me was very similar. You know, it just sped up on me a lot. And so ex game-wise, baseball-wise, uh, nothing really unexpected. You know, I was expecting to see a lot of the, the, the you know, big guys uh, display all the power and all you know, the tools that I've always looked up to. Um, but it was, a, it was a fun year, you know, even though we had a rough one. When players, when you say the game sped up, I, it, I, f I feel like fans hear that. They don't, because what does that mean to you? When, when, when the game is, when you go up a level, whether it's A ball to double A or double A to triple A, and the biggest jump, obviously, to the big leagues, can you explain that to fans who maybe have never played high-level baseball, obviously? When the game speeds up? Yeah. Well, when the game speeds up, it's usually not a good time. Um, you're slumping, and you let the game get to your, your mental aspect um, of the game, and it takes over as a young player, and you don't know how to slow it down because, you know, you're, you're frustrated. You don't think you're going to get out of it, and at, the at this big league level, you kind of get exposed a lot. You know, the, the other teams really analyze everything about your swing, about your game, and once they find holes, they, they kind of blow you up. So... Uh, I let that get to my head the second half, and it kind of slowed me down in a way. And, yeah, I th you know, baseball's I think, 90% a mental game, so it's all about not letting it get to your head. And I'm still learning how to slow the game down when I'm in those situations, uh, you know, having a rough time, but that's why I'm here. That's why I'm learning and soaking it all up. Max, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but you seem like one of the guys that's um, really tuned in with your nutrition and and keeping on your fitness and all of that kind of stuff. Is there somebody that was uh, that was instrumental for you or somebody that helped you along the way? Maybe as a couple years ago or maybe recently that you worked with on that kind of stuff. Uh, I owe it to my parents. Um, you know, them being athletes, they they still shoot me messages telling me, you know, my mom's telling me to stay on a, a plant-based diet. I'm like, no, I have to eat some meat. I have some protein in my diet. Um, but yeah, they they really. Uh, keep an eye on me and keep me focused on the things I have to, you know, pay attention to. Um, so, yeah, I owe it to them. Defensively, did you get the sense early on that opposing runners were challenging you? If you had Rosario, based on 2015, a heck of a defensive year, and Buxton in center, he's world-class defensively, did you, did you get that sense that, that opposing runners, they were going to see what, what you could do? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, just being a rookie, uh, looking down at the ground ball, coming my way to right with a runner on first, I knew the guy was going to try and take third every time, so I had to come up throwing. Um, 
but yeah, I think I, I made some decent throws, some decent plays. Uh, and yeah, I like it when they challenge me because I always want, I want to make that throw and get better at, you know, just my accuracy and strength. And we've spoken in the past, guys, I'm sure you, you have as well. When you, when you visited with Max in prior seasons, you played some first in minor leagues a couple years ago because DJ Hicks was, was injured at double-A. You made a great catch in center early in the Grapefruit League out in Sarasota. But do you feel like, all right, because I've asked you so many times, where do, you, where do you see yourself playing? Do you now feel like right field is, is where you belong? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting very comfortable in right, even though those walls are, are tough some plays. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, I'm always learning till the day my career ends, and I, I'm enjoying right next to Buck and waving at Rosario after every play. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fun out there. Hey, who, who did you grow up watching and idolizing? If you could either pick out a player that was most influential to you or a player that you just uh, latched on to, or even maybe a mentor that you wound up meeting throughout your, your minor league career, who, who would you pick? Derek Jeter. And I, I missed him by year, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah even though I was, I was a le- I'm a lefty, uh, I could never play his position. I was a little bummed out about that when I was younger. Uh, I wore his pinstripe pants from the Yankees for about <laughs> 10 years, and I just kept expanding. My mom had to cut the inseams. <laughs> to, to get them. But, I, yeah, I'm a big Jeter fan. What, what about Derek Jeter? What, what about him? Do you, what? His whole game. Um, everything about his game. Everything, the way he carries himself, uh, his bat, obviously his defense. Um, on and off the field, he's just the guy. The guy. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, that baseball, not the most popular sport in Germany. Were there other athletes and other sports that you looked up to as you were a kid? Oh, yeah. There's countless, countless soccer players, sure. uh, tennis players from back in the day, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi. Uh, but, yeah, I, I stuck with baseball. Yeah. And, but Derek Jeter is the only guy for me, so okay. I'll stay loyal to him. How would you spend your winter? Where were you? Did you go back and forth states? Were you back home in Germany? or And when do you head down to Florida? Are you already there? Uh, no, I was in the Bay Area most this winter. Spent uh, my Christmas holidays in Texas with my grandparents because they're not traveling anymore. So my family from Berlin came over to spend it with me there. And, yeah, we had a, a different winter. You know, no snow this time, but <laughs> it was still fun. Right on. Max Kepler, everybody. Thanks for Twin having me. Twin starting right fielder. 17 home runs last year. We appreciate you coming up and uh, catching up, man. Good luck this season. Thank you, you guys. All right. It's 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest, and Derek Falvey, I believe, is going to be coming over here. There he is right now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Corey Provis, Derek Wetmore, Phil Mackey, live at Twins Fest. It's Twins Fest on 1500 ESPN. We're hanging out in the Legends Club, classing it up. And if you look outside right now, it's sunny. And if you didn't know there was snow on the ground, it kind of looks like baseball season from this angle. So, bit. yeah, we've got Derek Wetmore. We've got Corey Provis from Twins Radio Network. We've got new twin CBO. Hold on. SVP and CBO, <laughs> Derek Falvey in the house. Uh, give him a round of applause, folks, for donating some of his time. Now, this is a safe space just between all of us. All the trade rumors and all the trade talks and all the free agency, you can spill it right now. Go ahead, sir. It's all, That's right. it's all you. It's just us. We're in our, our living room right now, kicking around baseball yes. ideas. Uh, in general, what has the first two or three months of your experience uh, heading a front office been like? It's, it's, been, it's been fascinating. I mean, it's been incredible on so many levels. I've had a chance to meet people from you know, the Twins region and, and fans across Twins territory, which has been great. Just had that opportunity last week on Caravan. And otherwise, it's really been an opportunity 
opportunity to get to know our, our people, our operations here, what processes are in place, and maybe areas we can we can ac accelerate and make change. But also, uh, really, to just get to know some people, build relationships, and start there. Because I think before you can move forward, you have to assess where you are, and, and that's been really the focus for us over the first couple of months. Sure, Derek. When you took over. Um I had read that you wrote Terry Ryan a handwritten note. Um, was that, and not just that specifically, but I guess in general, did you have like a, a checklist of things that you knew you'd wanted to do when you eventually got an opportunity? You know, I, I think the, uh, in terms of what you prepare for, I think when you, when you work in this game, uh, you always think about opportunities to grow and develop. And my view of that in, in the Cleveland organization was always, where are my next opportunities to challenge myself? Where can I grow? Where can I learn? Regardless of what the title is or what the job is. So I've certainly been preparing to, to grow and to lead, and I've had the opportunity to lead departments, uh, certainly not the entire baseball operation until now. But uh, I've, I've been preparing and thinking about people you'd want to work with, systems you might want to put in place, uh, things that we did uh, in Cleveland that I might want to do differently or, or in, my, in my view, better. So uh, I've had that opportunity and thought really deeply about that. But there, there was no specific checklist, I think, as you told me, when you speak about uh, sure. the letter to Terry Ryan, you know, that was of him as a person you know, what he means to the game and just the opportunity. I just wanted to wish him well in the next stage, but also just to connect with him. And he means so much to this franchise and this region. He's done so much in this game that I wanted to build that relationship and create that opportunity. Uh, Derek, I know you've been busy really since day one, since early November, but two weeks ago, uh, the Twins opened a brand new academy in the Dominican. Two-part question, why the need to have that in the game today? And then secondly, after that, you went to Fort Myers for, I think, something that's, that's pretty unique, at least when you look at the Twins, the, the Scout Summit. And take us through both... Uh, through both visits and why the, why the need for both? Well, the Dominican Republic facility, uh, you know, all teams now have some presence on the island there. Uh, and and uh, they have a setup where it's academy with dorm rooms, uh, a couple of baseball fields, a cafeteria, a training facility, because as we all know, a number of players from uh, for in our game are from Latin America, whether it's Venezuela, the Dominican, and other, other countries across South America. So we've had the opportunity over the last couple of years, even prior to me getting here, to assess our situation down there and create a facility that now is a year-round training facility. So we have the ability to bring in players we might sign, work them out, you know, get to know them more deeply, get to know the, the mindset and the makeup and the background, but also for the minor league players that we sign, our Dominican Summer League team and then others who are throughout our minor leagues get to train there both during the season and out of season. And then lastly, the Miguel Sanos and the Irvin Santanas and others to have them around our facility and our people and our young players to, to talk with them about the challenges of going through the minor leagues and what it takes to become a major leaguer. We now have one of the best facilities in the game. And I would add that between that and the changes that have been done in Fort Myers for our facility and what we have here at Target Field, these are the best facilities in the game. Far and, you know, Derek, it's incredible. The margin for when you compare the best teams in the major leagues to the worst teams and then you compare that same gap to other sports, the margin is so thin. It takes six months and 162 games to figure out who wins 60% of their games and who wins only 40. And so whether it's uh, what you're talking about with the Dominican Academy or whether it's maybe finding a way to develop one extra player per draft class into a utility player, how do you approach knowing that that margin is so thin and you're trying to improve a team that the last six years has lost more games than, than anyone but the Astros? How are you mindful of that, of, of, of those little percentage points you can gain 
to move the team up the ladder. I think that's a great point because it's how you need to focus your work. I think if you think overarching about how many losses the team had in, a, in a, an entire season last year or over the last few seasons, uh, you lose sight of what you can control, which is the process of each and every day and working to get each player better. I think if our scouting staff and our player development staff and major league operations thinks about how to make the players they're in front of that much better that next day, and we focus on plans and how we are objective about that process and planning toward a vision and not just focusing on limitations, I've seen the special power that that kind of culture creates around players. There's a lot of peer leadership that grows out of that. So you have players... You have players and staff working together and partnering on those plans. That's how you bubble up the small percentage points that, as you said, admittedly lead to, lead to the wins that give you the margin at the end of the year you're looking for. Uh, Corey had mentioned a hitting summit in Florida, and I think I heard you say on the radio the other day, there's a pitching summit planned uh, for spring training. Are you a part of that, or do you try to be present at the meeting and let other people talk? How, how do you address something like that? So I think to Corey's question and, and to dovetail with that, we had a, a hitting summit and a, and a scouting summit last week in Fort Myers and everybody was involved, from me to the guy who we just hired as an area scout and has been on the job a couple of weeks. I think it's important for us as an organization to model behavior where we stand in a room and we talk about what we want, how we want to operate, how we want to scout, or how we might want to teach hitting, and that it's, a, it's an equal, everyone's on equal footing. Everyone has the ability to contribute and share ideas. Now, I want that area scout to feel just as comfortable about sharing something as, as I will in that room. Now, to your point, Derek, there are times I'll, I'll back out just to make sure that the conversation is flowing and there aren't any, uh, any biases coming in because of okay. something I said, certainly. But I think once we create that environment and instill in them a, a feeling of trust, that in that room, it's an opportunity for us to pool our collective wisdom in baseball. And I firmly believe that when you have a hitting department thinking they run hitting and that's it and everyone else stay in their lane and, and get in their own box, that's not how to be a successful organization. We need to build and bridge those areas together. What kind of people will be in on the pitching summit? Like, like, uh, so I imagine you and, and Neil Allen and maybe Paul Molitor even, but that list probably stretches far beyond that, if I'm I think assuming we'll, correctly. Yep, so what we did with the hitting summit would be no different than what we'll do with pitching, but we want medical people in there. We want our strength and conditioning staff in that room. We want to talk about ways we can holistically develop a player. So... You know, sometimes we focus exclusively on the pitching coach and what he does in a bullpen, and that's what impacts a pitcher. I will tell you I've seen firsthand there are times where the strength and conditioning coach has more impact on that guy's success the next year than the pitching coach because you've been able to build core strength or lower half strength, and that's what leads to the changes in pitches that you're looking for that following season. So we're going to have performance psychology people. We'll have you know, anybody that's a part of that player, touching that player in any way developmentally mm -hmm. as part of the conversations as to how we operate. That's a great segue into my next question because at various events we've done together, I've heard you reference this phrase numerous times, explain the why. That was something that you referenced, I know, during your interview process and throughout these last few months. For those that have not heard what that means and what that entails, why is that so vital for you? Explain the why as you kind of move forward. I think it's a core principle to how you develop uh, you know, people in general, not just baseball players, but ultimately... These guys, the guys who get to this level, you know, you talk to the Michael Kadires and the LaTroy Hawkins and, and Tory Hunters and others who've been here, they talk about the impact of the coaches 
who got to them at, at an early stage and said, here's some things we want you to do, but here's why. And here's, here's linking the bridge to what the work you're doing today, where it leads to down the line. And I think sometimes as an industry, and I think in coaching professional sports in general, I think this goes back to high school and college and otherwise, is you tell a kid to do something, you know, and you say, this is what he should do. And he might be a little bit afraid to ask, why? Why should I do this? So I think at the core of our philosophy, our development philosophy, is, is that phrase, explain the why. We need to challenge ourselves. If I can't tell a player, well, we're, ask, so we're asking him to do something. If I can't tell him why we're asking him to do it and what that leads to long term, that's not a very good plan on my end. And that's going to be our challenge to our coaches, our staff, and everyone in our organization. Is that a Simon Sinek philosophy you that bet. you're pulling from? You bet. Um, wh- how, how do you... You guys just went TED Talk here y- at, yeah. <laughs> at Twins Fest. Wow, that's very meta. The guy, he's, he's, it's, it's business, it's, it's life, it's philosophy, but apparently mm-hmm. baseball as well. Um, I, I've heard you and Thad Levine talk about partnering with the player, which seems like obviously such a novel concept mm-hmm. that you guys all want them to perform at their best. Hey, we want you to go make a lot of money someday because that will mean you've been successful here. How does that relationship start? How do you reach out and make it clear that it's not us against you? We're all trying to compete for the same goal. And if you do well individually, that means it's going to be good for us as well. I think you start that. Certainly, you want to establish great relationships with agents and the the representatives for their players. Uh, You want to start that in the scouting process. You know, when our scouts go in and uh, see a kid play at the University of Minnesota or Long Beach State or a high school in, you know, the middle of Arkansas, we want to make sure that we're understanding more about that player, about what makes him tick, not just how he plays on the baseball field, but, you know, his strength and conditioning routines, what he does in the offseason. Who does he go to to maybe in January go work out with when he's back home and not with us? And we want to make sure we understand everything that surrounds that player's development. It starts there. But sure. once we get here to the major leagues, it's a, it's a conversation. And we have structures, you know, I, and I have ideas in mind uh, that I've uh, employed in, in, in Cleveland that lead to uh, a really productive conversation about planning a long-term vision for that player, but planning that collaboratively, you know, doing that in a partnership. Uh, D- Derek Falvey, twin CBO, joining us here. Just a couple more minutes because I know we're on a tight schedule. Um, it seems that you have, you don't take, this is my guess, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you seem to take inspiration from things that are outside of sports. Do you have one, two, or three examples or people, Derek mentioned Simon Sinek, for instance, are there influences outside of sports that you've sort of latched onto throughout the years? Yeah, I, I consider myself uh, someone who's relentlessly curious about those things. So, you know, whether it's Simon Sinek or, or others who are out there, I've had the opportunity, I've been really blessed and fortunate to go around to uh, other areas of, of the world or to learn a little bit about development. And I think at the core of what we do in baseball is development of people. It's development of our players. It's development of coaches. It's development of our front office staff and, and department. And there are people outside of sport that have, have really interesting ways of doing that. So whether it's learning from principles of you know, what Google is doing to develop or what maybe some of the armed forces and special units out there that, that have done some unique things you know, to, to develop you know, our, our United States military. I think there are areas I've spent a lot of time interacting with different people in different spaces and, and have taken a lot away from how you apply that to the development of a culture that, that builds the type, the type of environment and, and mindset you're looking for. You know, baseball's information age has evolved so quickly. If you go back to, I think Moneyball is the obvious, the book that really got people up from the outside looking in to pay attention to more statistical trends that they wouldn't have otherwise. I feel like now 
It's no longer about what information can you gather. I mean, you, you should still be gathering information. It's about how do you communicate the information in a way that makes players better. So from your experience in Cleveland, working with Terry Francona, who's raved about you publicly and privately, what can you take from your relationship or the front office relationship with Terry Francona to Paul Molitor and the field staff? Well, you're, you're right about Moneyball. I think what that was, in essence, a lot of people make it about the statistics in the game, but really what, what it is, was about was exploiting an inefficiency. We're all looking to find inefficiencies and, ma and take advantage of us exploiting that to be better than the other 29 teams. That's our goal. And your point about developing players and using that information. We all have access to a lot of information now. All 30 teams do. It's how you use that information. And and fans how you have access it. to, to yeah. information. Exactly that, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so what I've learned from, from Terry Francona and others who I've been really blessed to be around is, is the, the blend of how you use that information, but how you recognize that at the core this is still a people game. And communication with those players and with those coaches is essential because no matter what, how much information you have, if it's not relayed respectfully and in the course of dialogue to help develop a good plan, it won't be effective. So that, that's what I've taken away from that. Yeah. Derek Falvey, everybody. Twins, SVP and Chief Baseball Officer. Thank you so much. Great to Thank meet you. you. Yeah. And we appreciate you coming up, man. Thanks for having me. We'll come back here. It's live at Twins Fest, 1500 ESPN. And we're going to come back with Michael Tonkin. We've got Jason Castro, Jock Jones, and Thad Levine. Stick with us. Twins Fest, 1500 ESPN at Twins Fest. I'm Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch Em All podcast. Corey Provis on the end for those of you in attendance live here from the Twins Radio Network. And Twins reliever Michael Tonkin, everybody. Welcome Michael Tonkin to the stage. Um, I want to dive into and get your thoughts on it. It seems like throughout the last five years, and bullpens have always been evolving, but it seems like they are much more... Um, front offices and, and field staffs are looking at bullpens as an arms race almost. How can we build from the sixth inning through the ninth inning? It, does, it, does it feel to you in the game that bullpens are, are just a much more important part of the game maybe than they even have been at any time during your life watching baseball? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you, they always talk about how starters used to go nine innings every single time, and now they don't. I mean, it's not that common that a starter is going nine. So, I mean, getting to the bullpen earlier and uh, – kind of bridging the gap to the end of the game. And yeah, I guess they are used more, but it's uh, I'd say it's just a big difference with pitch counts and all that kind of stuff, I guess. At any level, Tonkin, has there been uh, – have you pitched with somebody that has a bigger fastball than you anytime yeah, throughout I, to the big Alex leagues? Alex Meyer, uh, um, I mean, Presley right now. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jepson. I mean, yeah, for sure. It seems like when you when you really reach back for it in some of the uh, yeah. outings last year, I'm thinking of when you got uh, Trout and Pujols, and there were some other outings where you were faced with a big challenge and came through. It seems like you can kind of go get another mile or two on the fastball if you need it. Is that something that that you're aware of or that you're thinking about when you're pitching? Oh, uh, sometimes a little more adrenaline. Sometimes your arm just feels better that day. Uh, and yeah, I mean, when it's feeling good and you reach back and get a big one, you know, throw pretty hard, you're like, I, I think I can reach back a little bit more. And, you, you know, it's kind of nice those days. Some days it's yeah. like, I really wish I had more in the tank. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Is it like that for play-by-play -play guys too, Corey yeah. Provis? Some days you just know. <laughs> well, yeah, then you just rely on Danny. And then you really hope, you hope that Danny drops a foul ball like he did last year. And that's going to give you just a mile of material. Of course that, you're going to bring that, that up. When you really reach moment. back, though, for a call, what does that feel like? Oh, you're, you're worried that you're, are you still on the air? 
Uh, did you just blow out your eardrums? <laughs> Can anybody actually hear you? Uh, so, yeah, you're, 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 you're thinking about that. Sure. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, there had to be a point in September last year, you're out in the bullpen looking around. You know, there's no Glenn Perkins, there's no Kevin Jepsen. And outside of Brandon Kinsler, you had to be one of the more seasoned guys out there when it was Rodgers and you had O'Rourke and you had Wimmers. It was a very young bullpen, and you had to be one of the more seasoned guys out there for a brief period of time. Yeah, it was uh, me, Kinsler, Presley. I mean, those two guys have more time than me. May, has, I think he has a little more time than me. But, yeah, I mean, I wasn't used to being in the top 50% with time in the bullpen. That was a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, you weren't always carrying the backpack out anymore. I mean, it was, no, uh, it was still long. stick me with it if you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what's been the most memorable experience for you in your in your big league career to this point? Like uh, just on the, the game f- on or, the field. Yeah, uh, I mean that that run we had last year, uh, 2015. That was that was pretty fun. I mean, uh, I mean playing deep into the season, meaningful games, and I was pitching some of those games. That it was it was fun. It was awesome. I mean, uh, that was about as good as it gets. And I mean. Obviously, there's memories like debut and then big games where, you know, strike out a big – I mean, last year, striking out Poppy. Was, I mm-hmm. mean, that was pretty cool for me. Yeah. Knowing yeah. he's retiring and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, 2015, that, that September was it was fun. What were you feeling when you were about to face Poppy? Because that last season was so magical for him and for the Red Sox yeah. that you know he wants nothing more than to get the best of you in that plate appearance, and yeah, turns think, out you got him. Yeah, it was uh, – I think Kinsler kind of said it after the game. He's like – I liked it. He's basically just reaching back and you or me, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how it was. I mean, just throwing fastballs and hoping I was going to get him by and got lucky. Is there somebody, Michael, that you, I don't want to say patterned your delivery after, but you do have some sort of unique throwing mechanics. Was there somebody you watched growing up that you thought, yeah, I'd kind of like to throw the ball like him and, and I, I pulled some things from his delivery or maybe it's a combination of guys. Is there anyone that jumps to mind for you? Uh, I, not, not really anyone in particular. I mean, you always see guys doing different things, and it's like, I, I, that kind of makes sense. Like, I, I, you know, it's just simple little little things, and it's like, okay, I mean, it, for me, it's just trying to get the most out of my body, you know what I mean? Sure. That's, that's all it is, and there's, like I said, I see a guy driving to the plate a certain way or doing just something. It's like, okay, I mean, let me try that. Just say how it feels, because some guys, they do stuff, and it's like, I don't know how you do that. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't work for me. Speaking but. of mechanics, did you feel like you got better with containing the opposing team's running game? Because that was the book on you guys would get on. Yeah. They, they would take off, not just second, but also third yeah. base. Was that a point of emphasis? And, and they, do you continue to work on that part of your game? Yeah, uh, late in the year, basically, we started doing slide step more. And that was something that, uh, I mean, once again, slide step, is, I mean, when people tell you how to do a slide step, it was something I was like, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, automatically, I'm dropping three miles an hour and I'm leaving every ball, ball at the belt. I mean, I, you can't do that. I mean, I'd rather have a guy still second than give up a home run. Sure. I mean, that's just kind of how it was for me. And then, uh, you know, I, I think I saw Andrew Miller and his slide step. I mean, he slide steps every single pitch, and it's very unorthodox slide step. And I was kind of like, wow, that makes a lot more sense to me. Like, I just watching him do that, and I was like, I'm going to try that, and uh, we I gave up a couple stolen bases in uh, Cleveland, and then, you know, we kind of had a talk, and uh, we went to Tampa and kind of worked on some things, and then from there, I mean, I, I'm not sure where Tampa was in the year. That was August or something. I was going to say early August. That was late, early yeah. August. Uh, I don't know if I had a stolen base on me after that. Um, so, I mean, that was definitely improvement. I mean, I, I don't know if I pitched all that well after that, but, I mean, it was definitely something that progressive I need to work on in my game. So. Uh, do you have any safe for radio, kid-friendly Eddie Gordado bullpen stories? <laughs> oh. 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got some what, stories, just uh, not sure how. Or, yeah. or to sort of uh, to sort of get you thinking along those lines, what's it like to to be around Eddie Gordado on a regular basis? He likes to keep it loose. That's for sure. You know, he uh, he likes to have a good time, mess with guys, and I mean, when, when it's uh, time for business, he's he's all business. So. I was going to ask you about that side of things, actually, because when you mentioned watching Andrew Miller's slide step or, or seeing something in a delivery from somebody else that you might want to pull, uh, who's helping you with that? Is that, is that Neil? Is, that, uh, is it Eddie? Are there other people that kind of ping I, you and say, hey, maybe look at this? Uh, it's, it's everyone. You know? it's, okay. uh, it's guys with veteran time. I mean, Kinsler, uh, Jepson would help out. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, Neil and Eddie were right there for me. And, you know, you kind of... And you have to help yourself, too. I mean, sure. it's, it's not something that they're just going to do for you and tell you, you need to do this, and you say, okay, and you do it, and magically it works. I mean, you got to, you know, pull things from what you see and do all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a team effort. You know? yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've always had fastball velocity, but the breaking ball, that was something that we heard for the last few seasons. You had to execute that at a better rate. Have you made steps to improve that pitch? Is it more than just a get-me-over pitch? Is it a good strikeout pitch for you? Yeah, I think I, uh, last year was pretty consistent with the fact that I, I mean, I had the, when I wanted to throw for a strike, I was able to throw for a strike. When I wanted to throw in the dirt, I was able mm -hmm. to throw in the dirt. And that's, uh, that's was big for me. I mean, there was times where, in the minor leagues, where uh, I didn't throw it a lot. I mean, I didn't really have to. Not that my fastball was amazing or anything. Like that. It's just, I was able to get by with doing that. And to me, is if you put up the numbers and get guys out. I mean, what, what else do you need to do? So I, I didn't use it a lot, and every once in a while, you know, I'm trying to throw it in the dirt, and I'm leaving it over the plate in 0-2, and a guy's able to get a hit, or I'm trying to go 0-0, and I'm bouncing it and stuff like that. And, that, you know, but last year was I was a little more consistent with that, and uh, so it was, it was good. I mean, it was nice to be able to use both. Uh, well, you struck out more batters than pretty much by far than any other Twins reliever and looking to build on that for 2017, and we wish you luck going into spring training in the Thank season. You. Michael Tonkin, thanks for coming up, man. Thanks, Michael. We're going to come back. Uh, we still have plenty more to go. 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest. We'll catch up with new Twins catcher Jason Castro, Jock Jones, and Thad Levine, Twins GM, all straight ahead. Stick with us. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon the Twin Cities' favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Welcome back to Twins Fest, 1500 ESPN live at Twins Fest. Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore, and Corey Provis over there from the Twins Radio Network. And let's welcome in new Twins catcher, Jason Castro, everybody. 
Now, Jason, did you ever think you'd spend three months talking about pitch framing? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I did, but, um, but it's been good, though, so far. Every kid's dream growing up being the guy, you know, to, that has to answer 600 questions about pitch framing. Pitch framing, framing right. Stealing. It wasn't even a thing until a couple of years right. ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the thing, it's, it's always been a thing for catchers. I mean, it's something that you work on as a fifth-grade catcher all the way up through the system, but now it feels like information's available, and so fans and media get a hold of information, and they, and, and they become curious about it such nuances right i guess the way that you frame it no pun intended yeah the, you know <laughs> our puns the are way, always intended on exactly, this day. Yeah. the way you kind of thought about it back then was like you just wanted to catch the ball well and and um the, other than that i mean i don't know how much emphasis there was um on much more than that and and uh, up until a couple years ago when it really started becoming something that was focused on and there was a way to measure it um that's when it really kind of took off in popularity and, and kind of intensity as far as um, how much you know we pay attention to it and, and how much of a difference it, it can make in a game. Hey, can you take me through kind of the rest of, um, of defensive catching? Because what, from what I've heard is that um, we love to focus on pitch framing, and now that it's become a little bit more mainstream, there are more people talking about it and stuff, but there's, there must be so much more that goes into calling a game and leading a pitcher through an inning. Um, what, what other things are your primary focuses when you're behind the plate? Uh, one of the things that's probably the most time-consuming is, is just game planning and, and uh, uh, advanced scouting, getting ready for uh, either that night's game or you know, if you're off. Uh, preparing for for the series ahead, um, but you know on any given day you, the catcher spends the majority of his time, you know, looking at scouting reports, watching video, trying to, um, you know, we we have meetings with with the pitching uh, coaches and and uh, pitchers for that day, going over, you know, our plan of attack, what we're trying to do that night, how that pitcher's strengths line up with, uh, you know, the the lineup that we're facing. So that uh, preparation part is probably the majority of my job. Okay. Um, other than actually, you know, catching in the game, obviously. Yeah, you know, in, in various events, when when Derek Falvey has spoke, or even Thad Levine, and your name comes up, there's always a, a connection with that they believe that you will be a huge impact in helping Jose Barrios and helping Kyle Gibson. Is it more than framing? You have, and not so much Gibson. He's been around a little bit, but more Barrios. What can you do directly to to be an instant impact with a young pitcher who's got a tremendous ceiling? Uh, so I think my experiences with the Astros, um, kind of going through that whole rebuild that we did a few years ago, um, taught me a lot. And, and I had to work with a lot of young pitchers who were trying to establish themselves in the major leagues and um, guys who had really good stuff. And for whatever reason, were kind of not quite making the, the transition to the big leagues as successfully as they should have based on, on you know, the, the quality of their stuff. So, um, you know, I think some of those experiences that I went through will – will kind of help just getting guys back on track in game and, and getting them to not have to think too much. Um, and, you know, that's what I try to take over is, is, you know, let me think about everything else that's going on and just try to give them little reminders throughout the game to, to get them back on track. And a lot of that starts in spring training, just getting to know the pitchers and, and you know, what works for them and, and the things that, um, you know, they need to do to, to kind of stay in line on the mound. You mentioned uh, your, your time in Houston. I mean, you guys went from 100 losses multiple years in a row, and then I think it was 90, low 90s in losses, and then, boom, one of the best teams in baseball the very next year. So can you, what are some of the, the big picture things that you noticed from that two- or three-year transition to the overnight lights, uh, light switch flipping on, and then how might they apply to the current situation with the Twins here? 
So I think with the Astros, um, you know, they needed at least a few years to try to rebuild the, the minor league systems. And, and, you know, we had a lot of high draft picks um, in the meantime. And, um, and just guys getting some maturity and, and uh, experience at the big league level um, during that rebuild and not really having the, the pressure to win right now. And I think that helped a few guys kind of make that transition a little bit smoother. And then we had some, you know, big-time prospects come up and, and make, you know, a pretty big impact. But um, where, where I think the, the Twins kind of line up with the Astros are, are actually uh, farther ahead than where the Astros were in, in the rebuild process. And I know last year was a down year for the Twins. But, um, you know, I know injuries played a part in that. And um, just knowing who's on the team and, and having played against them in the years past, the, the, the talent is definitely there already. And it's not something where the Astros had to wait, you know, two or three years to even get to that point. I think the Twins are already there. And, and you know, I think um, if everybody can stay healthy and, and things just, you know, go the, the way that they should, I think, uh, you know, the next few years will be, be special for the Twins. Uh, Twins catcher Jason Castro is joining us, and you're kind of the new guy around here, free agent signing early this winter. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself when you're not focusing on baseball or working out and doing all that stuff that everybody does in the winter. What are some of your favorite activities, things that you like to do with your time? Um, so we just had our uh, son uh, this last season, so um, you know, getting to spend more more time with with him and uh, some family time and stuff in the off season have been great. Um, we've been up in the mountains and um, getting my first taste at uh, snow shoveling a lot this off season. So that's been a blast. There's I've more of that around that. here. Stick around, even yeah. in April or May, you yeah. might find some here. So um, yeah, so. Um, you know, just working out and, and getting back in shape and um, just enjoying the time off, getting to see friends and family and things like that. So right. it's been good. Along those same lines, you spoke at a breakfast uh, at the Minneapolis Athletic Club on, on Friday morning, and your own charity came up. Uh, for the folks who don't know about uh, your charitable cause and your philanthropic look on things, uh, tell them about it. Uh, yeah, my wife and I started uh, Castro's Kids in 2013, and uh, it was something we started in Houston that we are now transitioning to the Twin Cities. Uh, it's a literacy-based foundation, and we uh, you know, focus on, on providing age-appropriate reading material to school districts and, and kids who are in need and uh, provide um, financial support and, and a grant program to librarians throughout the school districts so that they can either implement new programs or continue programs that are on the verge of being cut. And um, we hold book, book fairs and, um, and do different things with uh, the school districts to, to help kind of supplement either their libraries or, or existing programs that they have to promote literacy at the correct ages. Why literacy? Why was that so key? And there, there's so many charitable causes and so many that are so worthwhile, but why did that one have such an impact with you? Um, my wife and I were uh, fortunate to meet in college, and, and that was something that, um, you know, we realized, you know, pretty early on that, um, you know, our educational backgrounds, we, we were pretty fortunate to have, um, you know, the resources afforded to us at a young age. And, and uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that um, kids, you know, all over the country and, you know, especially when we were in Houston and now here have access to that. And, and um, um, you know, literacy is such an important factor for, for success in, in uh, adult life and later on. And so we wanted to make sure that um, kids had that, that kind of base in order to set themselves up for success moving on in their educational careers. That's a, that's a cool cause, and we appreciate you coming up telling us about yourself and uh, 
talking about pitch framing once again. So Jason Castro, everyone, Twins starting catcher. Uh, we're going to continue on here, come back, and, and Corey Provis, Derek Wetmore, and I, before the top of the hour, are going to tell you who we think you should keep an eye on. Who has a chance to make the biggest jump forward for the Twins in 2017? And then Jock Jones at the top of the hour and Twins GM Thad Levine after that. It's 1500 ESPN live at Twins Fest. All right, welcome back to Twins Fest, 1500 ESPN, live here until 1.30. Corey Provis from the Twins Radio Network, Derek Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast and 1500ESPN.com, and I'm Phil Mackey. And uh, we got a couple minutes here, gentlemen, before we get to Jock Jones at the top of the hour and also Thad Levine at Twins General Manager. Who do you think is going to make the biggest jump forward in 2017 from his performance in 2016. Can I start so you don't yeah. steal mine? Go. Okay. <laughs> I think this We might all have the same one if yeah. we say one. Maybe. One, two, three, go. <laughs> okay, you show me yours. Uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, I think it's Jose Barreos. I think that Byron Buxton's probably going to take a big step forward based on what he showed in September. But I almost think that one's cheating a little bit because we've, we've seen the range of talent that he has. But when I look at the stuff, that Barrios has. I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily command or ability to just take over a game, but his mid-90s fastball, the two-seamer that can move across the entire plate, and his breaking pitch and changeup, he has all of the tools in the tool belt to be a much better pitcher. Of course, it didn't surface last year. We saw in the big leagues some shaky outings, but I really think that he has the capability of being sort of a, a front-end type starter, and that's far from what we saw from him last year. Good pick. Uh, I was leaning that direction. Uh, yes, but I I'm think glad Barrios, I got in front of you. I think Barrios is a good pick. And, and, I, and I, what I like about Barrios, and I'm going to go in a different route, but just to back up your point, yeah. Derek, when you hear fellow players say how good he is and yeah. what he has, his makeup is not the norm. And just hearing Irvin Santana or Glenn Perkins just talk about the movement and, and things he can do with the baseball, that's not all that common. So he's got, he's got a gift, and I think we'll, we'll see him take a big step. You know, I'm going to go with Eddie Rosario. I I just think 2015 was great. I think 2016 humbled him. And uh, I I think that he cares. And uh, I I think he is somebody that will be pushed because Robbie Grossman's still on this team. And Robbie Mm -hmm. Grossman deserves to still be on this team. He was was fine in the role that he was given last year. So I'll go with Rosario. And if we could see that outfield, not to knock Robbie, but if you have Rosario in left, Buxton in center, and Kepler in right, as bad as the pitching was last year, folks, the defense was equally horrible. That you need to have, if you're not going to have this dominant staff with strikeout arms and the guys are going to have to make some plays, you need a good defense. And I, and I could live with that trio out there in the outfield oh, yeah. this season. It's yeah, if, I mean, it, 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 so many, when, when you look at the Twins starting staff ERA and you say, well, it's the, it's the worst in baseball if you go back the last six years, and we blame pitchers all the time. And not the pitchers are, are uh, blameless. Certainly they are, but... If you field more fly balls in the alley and turn those into outs, if you uh, turn more double plays, if you have maybe better defense at the catcher position, all those things add up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one of those elements, and I'm going to go with the obvious one, Byron Buxton, okay. biggest jump. And I even said on our podcast last week, I think he becomes one of the top 30 or 35 position players in baseball when you account for everything. His defensive value, do I think he's going to hit 300 in 2017? No. I think he hits some home runs. I think he plays gold glove caliber defense, and I think he's a mainstay in the lineup and takes a big jump forward in 2017. Where does he bat? 
Where do you like him? Um, in the five seconds I have left to think about this, <laughs> I start him off lower third yeah. and then put him at the top if he can figure it out. Jock Jones joins us next. 15 Hard ESPN Live at Twins Fest. Across Twins territory. It's 1500 ESPN live at Twins Fest. Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore, Corey Provis with you for another half hour at Twins Fest here on 1500 ESPN. We're expected to be joined by longtime twin, part of the, the early 2000s resurgence, Jock Jones. Um, and then later on in the hour here, in about 15 minutes, Twins general manager. Thad Levine. Um, so until until our next guest joins us, and by the way, you did blow the speakers on that home run call that yeah. just played during <laughs> the. Yeah, not good. That was you reaching back for ninety five. I yeah. wasn't going to say anything, but it did sound like that highlight reel was a lot of Danny Gladden. A there lot was of Danny. Yeah. It just be. carrying the carrying the load. Danny. Yeah. That's how it should go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we spent let's let's carry over this conversation because we spent the last five minutes of of the uh, noon hour there talking about twins players that we think are going to take a big jump. The next question off that is, this was a 103-loss team. So if you just look at the losses, you, you look and say, wow, there's, I mean, the cupboards are bare, blah, blah, blah. I feel like, and there's Jock Jones, we're going to get him up here. Um, I feel like I agree with Jason Castro and that this team, good to see you, Jacques. This team has so much talent up and down the roster, especially on the position player side. Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, you've got uh, Byron Buxton, all these guys. So to dovetail that into Jock Jones, if you were to write a manual, sir, on how to turn around a franchise that lost a bunch of games and what the DNA of the resurgence looks like for you guys, for instance, in 2001, 2002, what are the most important components? Um, I, I think camaraderie, learning how to win together, learning each other, learning each other's weaknesses or strengths. Um, just wanting to go out and win. I, I, I think that was our deals. We came up together as young kids, and um, they sent the group of us together, and we just had a lot of heart and passion for the game. I, but you can't teach that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's one of the big debates in the information age of baseball is clubhouse chemistry versus just getting good players and what's the right blend and um, for you guys, you had both. Obviously, you can't just have great camaraderie and chemistry without also having hitters who can hit 20, 30 home runs and play good defense and all those things. What is that balance in your mind? Um, who knows? There, there, there's no percentage, so to speak. There, there's just, I mean, like I said, we played together coming up, and so we kind of played our way into certain roles, and we knew what our roles were, and we were okay. Not necessarily okay with the playing time, but we were okay with the roles we were in because that's that's how we were defined. And so um, we knew we had like a six, seven inning, uh, eighth inning, ninth inning guy. We, we knew the guys who were everyday players. We knew the guys who were going to give guys a break, and they were eager to get in the lineup to prove that maybe they should get more playing time. And so we always had guys with chips on their shoulders. It was something to prove, and, and that's what made us so successful. 
Jack, I imagine that has to start at some point, whether it's in the minor leagues or once you guys all sort of filter up to the major leagues, that at, at some point you're going to go through some kind of hardship, and it's sort of how you get over that right. that, that defines you. Could, is there anything that, that you can draw back on in your career that you thought, you know what, for this team, this was a turning point. This was one of those valleys, so to speak, and the way we came out of that is what what allowed a successful team. Is there something that jumps out to you? I, it was a few things. I think the contraction issue sure. was, was huge. Yeah. I think the fact that the Indians used to wear us out and, <laughs> yeah, and they used to show us up um, with guys like Juan Gonzalez and Jim Tomey and Kenny Lofton and the Alomar brothers, they just used to just wear us out and we got tired of it as, as a collective team. We just had a bunch of guys who hated to lose and didn't want to lose. And we didn't care that they were more talented than us. We just felt like at some point that talent is not going to matter because we're going to want to kick your behind. And that's what started to happen. You know, I would imagine, too, if you poll the current group of twins, the younger players, for you, the Indians, I think for the current group, it would be the Royals, how good the Royals have been and how they have manhandled the Twins in the last two or three. It hasn't been close. The season series has been lopsided. You guys remember that. I mean, yeah. that, that, that kind of that fuels you when, when you know that you're getting things handed to you. That's going to make you uh, even, even more motivated. Well, it should. <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way, right. but it should <laughs> motivate these guys to know that, hey, man, the Royals are looking at us like we used to look at the Royals, how they look at the Twins now. Like we're going to get our stats fattened. We're going to take at least two out of three when we come here. And if we do, it's a failure. You know what I mean? If we didn't beat on the Royals, it was a failed trip. These were teams that we were supposed to beat. Like we didn't want to feel that way. And these guys shouldn't want to feel that way either. So, I mean, if that doesn't fuel you, fuel you or, you know, I don't know what will. You go back to 2014, just to finish up that thought, you know, Gardy's last year, you're right. Gardy used to always say he had the hardest time seeing the Royals do to the Twins what all of his teams did to the Royals. It really drove him nuts more than anything else. Any individual team, he had the hardest time watching the Royals beat up on the Twins in a given year. Really did. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of that Royals run, too, they were, and actually the Royals are a good blueprint for, Dayton Moore comes in, and it took probably five years of that regime before they really started to pump out good teams on the field. This team has more talent at the major league level. Jacques Jones is joining us here with Corey Provis, Derek Wetmore. I'm Phil Mackey. Um, Jacques, you've been working with, you played for a long time. You've been working with some of the new crops of hitters the last few years. What are the most noteworthy changes you've seen among players compared to when you played 15 years ago or so? I think travel ball has been a big um, it, it, it's, I don't know, maybe issue is the wrong word, but I mean, travel balls, showcase balls, how far you can hit it, how hard you can throw it, how fast you can run. Um, I think the fundamentals have suffered a lot in this game. I think guys feel less rewarded for getting a guy over and getting him in a scoring position or getting a guy in with less than two outs just on the ground ball up the middle. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just hard. And, and, like, yeah, I was a high strikeout guy. I didn't like it, but I struck out 100 times a year. But the strikeout is like, hey, man, we'd rather you strike out than put the ball in play and have a chance to maybe ground into a double play. So it's like, 
you know, hey, strike out, strike out, and whatever the last out of the inning is, as opposed to putting the ball in play, making the other team make plays. So I think a lot of that has suffered in the last few years of this I think, I think basketball, a lot of people in back. Kobe Bryant went on a rant about this a couple of years ago, that these AAU showcases, not that they're all bad, but mm-hmm. it almost promotes a more selfish-minded, and right. from a baseball perspective, well, I need, to, I need to show these scouts I can throw the ball 95 miles. Now, I need right. to show these scouts I can hit a ball 450 feet. Right. Well, maybe that's not the thing you would be doing to help your team win a baseball game at another level. Right. It, it, I mean, like I said, just getting a guy over or, or getting a simple single to score a guy from second base, you don't have to score that guy and yourself at the same time. It's, it's a, sort of the old keep the line moving type of thing that's been lost in this game. Jack, I was talking to somebody earlier about the, that, that leadership can be sort of easy when you're winning 95 games a year. It's, it's when it's difficult is when it's not all going your way, and you still have to stand up, and that's when you share your character. Uh, is there a time I'm asking specifically for a guy who's now rejoining the Twins organization and Tory Hunter? Mm-hmm. Is there a moment you can think of that showed you that, wow, he's, he's really one of those guys that even if things aren't going well necessarily, he's going to try to rally the troops, so to speak? It was his whole career. I think the turning point, though, was when he got sent down. I don't know if it was 2000. Okay. Towards the middle of the season, and he went down for about five or six weeks and hit like 18 homers and drove <laughs> in a bunch of runs, and he sure. came back. And mm-hmm. But just watching Torrey every day, you never knew if he was in a slump or you never knew if he was on fire. And that was even before he got sent down. And, like, Watching LaTroy and Eddie the same way, you know, they'd get beat up. And at the time, Hawk was a starting pitcher, and he'd get beat up. And But he'd come back up, and, and you know, he'd, he'd think about the start and think about his next start, get his workout in, and just no emotion. And I'm like, does he not care? And that's not it. But it's like, there's, it's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. Now I can prepare myself for the next start. I can pre- prepare myself for the next at-bat. And so when you see that, and then he leads you with his voice, you follow him because you're like, okay, he's living it and he's showing it. So maybe I should listen. Sure. As a hitting coach and you're, you're with the Washington Nationals, you joined Dusty Baker's staff last year as the assistant hitting coach. Our strikeouts now in the game, they're, they're at an all-time high. You're seeing it. It's so prelevant in the game today from team to team. Are, are they just accepted in, in this day and age where, where they weren't 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I, I just think guys took more pride and striking out than they do now. It's just, I mean, if I strike out, you know, I didn't do it, not that they do it on purpose, but, you know, I'll get them next time. I'll get them, but like, put the ball, make the other team make a play. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, <clears throat> like with cybermetrics, right? Like I said, they'd rather a guy strike out than put a ball in play and maybe ground into a double play. So I, I think it's a little bit more accepted now than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Can you share a, a Bryce Harper story, just uh, how unique his workout regimen is and one of the top players in the game, and you get a chance to be around him every day? Yeah, he's a, he's a great kid, um, a great young – I shouldn't say kid. He's a great young man. Yeah. Um, he works very hard. He's got his own uh, uh, regimen that he goes through every day. He comes down at a certain time. He's in the cage for about – 15, 20 minutes every day, and he does his work, and he's got a routine, and it's just fun to watch. I mean, just one of the brightest young players in the game. I get to watch him every day, and it's just it's it's nice to see him do his uh go through his routine. I agree with his philosophy, by the way. Make baseball fun again. Let's yeah, flip man. a couple bats once in a yeah. while. We don't need to be. Yeah, you why know, not? 
Yeah. Why not? Why that that not? is was, one thing. I was I was the lead bat flipper, so I'm yeah. all <laughs> yeah, seriously. You were flipping bats way yeah. before it was cool. Okay? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it, man. Hey, hey, don't throw it there if you don't want the guy to hit it. Yeah. You know, I've always thought the the, the the dumbest thing, and I I could go off on a rant. It sounds like you would agree. Yeah. So if I hit a home run and I happen to, you know, which by the way, I if as a great hitter, you're only going to succeed three out of ten times anyways. Right. Let me have my moment. Right. Why is the retaliation a rock in your back? As opposed right. to just me trying to get right. you out the next time. But, but I've never you, understood that. But you can fist pump me and dance on the mountain. That's right. <laughs> it's very just, one-sided. I don't understand it. Right. Jacques Jones, everybody. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, Jack. Great for seeing you. All right. uh, let's take one more quick break here, and then we're going to get to Twins general up, manager, man? Thad Levine. It's 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest. Welcome back to Twins Fest. It's 1500 ESPN live at Twins Fest. I'm Phil Mackey from the Mackey and Judd Show. We've got Derek Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast and 1500ESPN.com. Corey Provis, radio voice of the Minnesota Twins. And Thad Levine, general manager of the Minnesota Twins, on stage with us. Um, what's going on, Thad? How's, how's your first Twins? It's, it really is one of the better festivals in professional sports, I would say. We're biased here, but it's pretty cool. It's been glorious so far. The interaction with the fans has been tremendous. Feeling your guys' passion uh, drives us every day. I mean, I think we literally wake up every day trying to appease you guys and take one step forward to building a championship-caliber organization for you guys. So getting to touch and feel you guys and meet you guys has been uh, a very rewarding experience this weekend. Okay, spill it. Uh, all the free agent news, all the rumors, yep. trades. You got uh, a list? Yep, tell I, us I, everything I, right now. I do have a list. How much time do we have yeah. here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About nine minutes, actually, if you want to rattle off some things. All right, we're going to have to do this quickly, then. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, what is, um, what's the biggest difference between an established organization the past few years and coming from Texas and all the things you guys accomplished to stepping in here and trying to bring this team back into contention for the first time in seven years. See, so far the biggest difference has been the, the snow and the cold. <laughs> That's, uh, that hits you right in the face when you come down here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's just cyclically where you are in your development process. I, Texas, I, I started to work there off-season of 2005. We really started rebuilding almost immediately, and then we, we kind of progressed towards a point where we were playing in the playoffs almost every season. So I just look at this as we're, we're a couple years behind that, uh, but it's an exciting, exhilarating point in the cycle for the growth of this franchise, and Derek went through it in Cleveland. I feel like I went through it in Texas, and so we're excited to take everything we learned from those two places and apply them here. What's been the biggest learning point for you? I know you and Derek kind of came in and, and wanted to learn before reacting rashly. What's been the number one thing that you maybe didn't expect? Yeah, so I, I think the biggest learning for us so far has been the Minnesota Twins. One of the, one of the charms of the Twins in the industry is the fact that there's such great loyalty here from the fans to the owners to the people who work here. So as a result, uh, the, the staff of people who worked here were people we revered. You know, you hear the names of, of Mike Radcliffe and Vern Falwell, Rob Antony, and, and the group of people, but you don't really know those guys because you haven't necessarily worked with them and crossed as paths as much because they've been here for their entirety of their careers. So getting to know the people who's, who you really only knew through reputation so far has been the most rewarding aspect of the job. You, you learn how, how tremendous baseball guys these are, quality individuals, and we're, we're excited to grow with them. Have you used the last couple of days to get FaceTime with the players, really, for the first time? Because I'm sure you had some phone calls, but now 
actual face-to-face contact? Yeah, well, I, I guess that, that builds right off of the last question. I, that may actually be the biggest learning we've had since <laughs> we've been here. Uh, the next question also may apply to the, yeah. the, the, the biggest learning. But So it's, it's a little bit unique for us. Derek and I have come from environments where we're a little bit more hands-on. We're a little bit more connected to the Major League staff and the players to come to an environment where you know the players just based upon video, based upon scouting reports and playing against them a handful of times a year. It's great to actually shake their hands and get to know their personalities, learn a little bit about the third dimension of these guys. Uh, that's something that I think we'll try to really apply as we move forward in helping those guys realize their potential. But keep in mind, we got here in November. It wasn't really till this weekend that we really got a chance to meet a lot of those guys. So getting, getting to know those guys, getting around them, I think is going to be invaluable moving forward. Thad, if you, guys, if you guys build this thing the way that you envision, and whether it takes 30 minutes or, or five years or whatever, what would, what would be your elevator pitch to someone who says, all right, describe Minnesota Twins baseball to me in like three or five years? Yeah. How, how would you want that to be described? Uh, so I, I think everyone in this room has heard the, the terminology of the Twins way, and I think in the industry everyone regarded the Twins way as being an, an elite way of playing the game of baseball. I think we have an opportunity right now, a moment in time, to redefine the Twins way and to have that evolve as the game has evolved over the years. So we have a blueprint. The blueprint is, is the time where you had Michael Kadar, Jock Jones, uh, Latroy Hawkins, Torrey Hunter in this franchise. They're all back involved. They're, they're, they're making contributions, as you've seen throughout this weekend. These guys will help us lead a path down redefining what the Twins way is all about. It's about athleticism. It's about having guys who can defend and hit. It's about guys who can execute offensively. It sounds overly simplified, but I think it's something we've gotten away from as a franchise. It's something we're going to be committed to the minute we show up in spring training. That one of the things that people talked about last year was that there was sort of a reliance on young players, and no doubt some of these kids are talented and had success throughout their minor league career on the way up to the big leagues. But is there a, in your mind, is there a balance of, uh, you know, requiring a kid who's maybe only 21, 22, or 23 to be the guy, so to speak? Do you think that that, that maybe? Um, weighs on a player who's trying to carry the load really for the first time in his career? I, I think it does 100%. I think okay. there are two factors involved as we, as we evaluate those young players. Is It's imperative as a franchise here that we see those guys take a step forward. We're never going to be the team that's going to spend extremely lavishly on the free agent market. We'll spend, but we're not going to spend at the top end. So we need our young players to develop at the major league level. So two things to take into, into consideration. I think it's incumbent upon us, Derek and myself and Rob Anthony and the group in the front office, to layer in some veterans on this team because one thing I've learned in the game is messages delivered by the front office are not heard extremely well by the players. Messages even delivered by the coaching staff won't necessarily get implemented by the players immediately. Messages delivered by their peers, guys who are shoulder to shoulder with them in the locker room, I think really do have an impact on the players. So you guys saw that firsthand when Torrey Hunter was here. Not suggesting we're going to be able to find a Torrey Hunter at this stage in the offseason, but what we are going to try to accomplish, and when we sign extra players in between now and opening day, those are going to be guys that we've heard through the grapevine, through our scouts, uh, through some of our guys, that these guys are our chance to have a real leadership role on the team. So that's one. And then two is, you know, the reality in the game of baseball is guys peak perform between ages of about 24 and 30. I think every woman in the room could tell you that at, after the age of 30, men are more or less useless. <laughs> uh, thank you, ladies. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the young players that we have here are actually not yet 24 years old. So they're really coming into the best part of their careers. So I think it's important for us to be patient as fans, 
understand that these guys are about to embark upon the best phase of their careers. In the meantime, let's surround them with some of the veterans who can help enhance their, accelerate their ability to, to develop at the major league level. Are you guys even 30 yet? Derek is useful. I'm no longer useful yeah, as of like a year ago. So, yeah. But I, you know. Sand is slipping through the hourglass. <laughs> I think useful would be in quotation marks there. <laughs> I offer a lot of veteran experience now, but I'm not very useful. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, two areas of concern for the team last year and then even the year before that, pitching and defense. Outside of, of Jason Castro, the, the, the core and the personnel is, is the same, a lot of the same guys. How can things be drastically different in those two areas if the same group for the most part is back here in Holt? I think if you squint really hard, you may see something slightly different. <laughs> there you go. All right. uh, th that's the first step. If that doesn't work. Uh, so I think Jason Castro will have a meaningful impact. I think secondarily, we've got Phil, Phil Hughes is coming back and is going to be healthy. And so you can't underestimate a guy who is going to ideally throw 180 plus innings that you can put right in the middle of your rotation. It takes a lot of pressure off of some of your younger starters and the bullpen guys who were really overly taxed last year. So I think he'll be a, a demonstrative assistance for us. And then the other thing I'll tell you, and I know this is a little bit open-ended, but there are a lot of pitchers still on the free agent market. And we're having conversations with a lot of agents for those pitchers. I would expect in between now and opening day, we'll have added at least one or two pitchers to our mix to enhance the, both the depth and the quality within our 12-man our staff. And could you spell their names and just yeah. sort of rank them for us? <laughs> yeah. I will just give you the first initial and last name, and I'll let you guys do the work there. <laughs> uh, we have about 60 seconds or so to go before we have to sign off. So what's something about yourself that you would like, to, uh, that you would like fans to know about you? What's uh, off the field, anything that you would like to tell fans about yourself, Pat I, Levine? You know, I, I, hope, I hope to be very accessible to you guys. I, I know that starts with Jim Polad. He, he, he preaches that. Dave St. Peter preach, preaches that. And I know Derek Falvey agrees with that. I, we want to be accessible to you guys. You guys are our lifeblood. You guys are what makes us wake up every day, driving to try to get better as a franchise. It's the passion you guys exude from the oldest fan to the youngest fan. So please connect with us. Give us your ideas. Uh, we'll, I'm happy to give you my email. It's Thad at something, uh, so feel free to email anytime. Uh, but I, I want to be accessible and I want to connect with you guys and I look forward to getting to know you guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been awesome getting to know you. Thanks for coming up on stage. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Thad Levine, Twins General Manager. Um, that's going to be a wrap here in the final minute for 1500 ESPN Live at Twins Fest. Corey Probus, thank you from Twins Radio Network. Guys, always fun. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Uh, Derek Wetmore, you can find If you missed any of this, by the way, you can find it on the Touch Em All podcast feed, uh, 1500ESPN.com. iTunes will put it up on demand later on today. And thank you to all of our guests, Jock Jones, super fun. Earlier on, we also had uh, Twins CBO Derek Falvey. So I'm Phil Mackey from the Mackey and Judd Show. We will catch you, I guess, next year at Twins Fest. See you in spring training.